slavery lives. And you'd better know if it's a part of your supply chain. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Governments are just starting to crack down on the use of forced or involuntary labor in global supply chains. The first glimmer of regulation was the California Transparency in Supply Chain Act of 2010, which didn't actually take effect until early 2012. It served as something of a template for the more recent United Kingdom Modern Slavery Act of 2015. Both represent early efforts to get companies to discover whether slavery exists in any part of their supply chains. For now, they are largely disclosure requirements, but you can expect the laws to tighten up in the years ahead. My guest today, Maureen Gorson, partner in the Environment, Land Use, and Natural Resources Group of the law firm of Alston and Bird, is going to tell us what's in those laws, how companies should be responding, and what the future might hold. They're just a tiptoe into the issue, Gorson says, but no one would be surprised if regulators eventually jumped in with both feet and companies need to get ahead of the curve. So here is my conversation with Maureen Gorson. Maureen Gorson, welcome to the program. Thank you. For purposes of our discussion today, what is slavery? Uh, slavery is uh, any uh, labor that is forced and involuntary. It seems like rather a shocking word to a lot of people today. They have a certain image in their minds of what it is, and I think in, to, to, to many it's a historical phenomenon, and yet here we are talking today about uh, about something that it really is quite prevalent still in the world, Correct. Yes, unfortunately. Let's talk first about the UK Modern Slavery Act, which I believe uh, was just passed. Is that correct? That's correct. Can you tell me a little bit about that act and what it contains and, and what we need to look out for based on that? Yes, well, it's the first of its kind in Europe, and it's going to hold basically anyone who is involved in you know, human trafficking, compulsory labor, any kind of exploitation of laborers responsible, and uh, put a lot of criminal provisions on those kinds of assets, penalties, sentencing. So, it, you know, what may be currently, you know, unsavory business practices are now becoming criminalized. Well, you say penalties and sentencing, but are we not talking about a lot of instances in which the people who are committing these uh, these acts are outside the jurisdiction of the UK? Yes. Yeah, so that is, you know, what I've been writing about, which is now going to try to hold people who are doing business in the UK responsible for these things that may be happening by other people across the globe in their supply chain. So the penalties fall on the parties within the UK jurisdiction who are doing business with those with those parties, right? 
Well, it's been very difficult. Okay, so this is the only, the second law of this, of its kind. The first one was the California Transparency and Supply Chains Act of 2010. So here we have the second one, which what you're trying to do is take the company in the jurisdiction that you have authority over and say, you have a responsibility for everything you're buying, all the raw materials, how they're being produced, when you you finally assemble it into a product that is sold in our jurisdiction. So it's a way for the jurisdiction of California or the jurisdiction of the UK to reach in to the supply chain that's many, many countries globalized and say you bringing it in are going to have a responsibility to police it somehow. Now, the criminal provisions, the penalties, those apply to the people who are actually engaged in the act of human trafficking and slavery. But what the new thing is for businesses is that you have to become aware of that. You sort of have to have supplier codes of conduct. You need to start training your supply chain, and you need to start disclosing what you're doing in your supply chain. Does the California Transparency Act serve as a kind of template for the U.K. Act? Did they borrow a lot of content from that? Uh, yeah, pretty much cut and paste. It's pretty draconian, is it not? I mean, what are some of the penalties uh, that, that a company could suffer from having a relationship with, with someone who's trafficking and in, in human trafficking or, or, or slavery? Well, actually, these two laws are a tiptoe, right, into holding the businesses that are basically enabling all of this to be accountable. But because they are not physically engaged in it, the criminal penalties will not apply to them, right? Nor will the civil penalties. The only thing that will happen is they have to disclose it on their website. They have to disclose what they're doing, what due diligence they're doing, what kind of training they're doing, how are they taking responsibility for everything in their supply chain. So in essence, um, it's, it's starting with disclosure, right? Just sort of like uh, with the climate change, they started with just report what your global emissions are, right? You have no other requirement except to tell us what you're doing. Tell us what you know about your supply chain and tell us what you're doing. So I think it's it's the beginning, but obviously uh, the people who are behind both of these laws, and it's the same group of people, are going to want a lot more activity and policing happening by these businesses because it, they are the ones who in it are enabling these practices. Where are the teeth? What if you fail to disclose? If you fail to disclose, uh, in California, you would be subject to an action by the Attorney General. Uh, right now, it only provides for injunctive relief. However, there is no bar against plaintiff's attorneys bringing unfair business practices claims or false advertising claims because you have a legal duty to disclose. So if you do not disclose... Theoretically, you are gaining some sort of unfair competitive advantage in the marketplace because your raw materials are benefiting from reduced cost labor in the supply chain. So we haven't seen that yet. Uh, the um, California law has only been in effect since January 1st, 2012, and now it's 2015. So the Attorney General this year just started enforcing the, the law uh, and is requiring voluntary submissions on a, a data system that they've put on their website and they've started sending letters to companies who have not posted any of their disclosures yet. And then the UK Act does not take effect 
until October 2015. And because they have not yet established rules for what the content and scope of the disclosures need to be, uh, a lot of people are expecting that October 15th date to be extended. You use two words that we don't normally find in the same sentence, and that is enforcing and voluntary. It sounds like a little bit of a contradiction. To what extent is it voluntary? There's a requirement to disclose. You have mm-hmm. to disclose. That's not voluntary, right? You have to disclose on your website. The The Attorney General does have a portal now on their website for voluntary submissions of your compliance information. Everyone is required to comply, right? But not everybody is required to tell the attorney general how they're complying. That part is voluntary. Is it in the interests of companies to take that extra step when they don't even when they don't really have to? I think so because you don't want to be the subject of an attorney general injunctive action and if they can't determine that you're in compliance, they'll file the suit and then you know you're in the context of litigation saying, "Hey, wait a minute, I am in compliance." as opposed to kind of providing that information up front so that, you know, they can check you off the list. How is this different or the same as the conflict minerals disclosure rule that the Securities and Exchange Commission is upholding as a result of the Dodd-Frank Act? That is merely a disclosure rule as well. And as far as I know, that doesn't have any teeth. You're just supposed to disclose, and if you don't disclose, as as far as I know from the SEC standpoint, there are no penalties for failure to do so. So that's a little bit different, right? Yeah, I think it's um, very similar. I, I think what you're seeing, and I see this not just in the labor context or the conflict minerals context, but also in the, um, the chemical ingredient context, where uh, people want to know what what chemical ingredient is in the product being sold. So people who are concerned labor with labor laws or enforce environmental laws, and they know that these activities are not taking place in the jurisdiction where they have some influence over the laws, are, are looking at tools to create the corporation as an enforcement entity and to export the values that we care about. So these disclosure laws, like I said, are a tiptoe in that direction where similar with uh, the global climate change regs, for years your your first requirement is to just start keeping track of how much carbon, start calculating it, start measuring it, start reporting it, start disclosing it, because that starts creating internally in your organization an awareness of how much you're you're doing and an awareness of how, how many different ways you could reduce it. So I can tell you when SB 657 passed in 2010, I got oh, calls from 60, 70 companies, and it was the first time they kind of integrated their human resource policies and their internal policies on sustainability and environmental issues to the people who were doing supply chain sourcing. Right, So this whole group of people in their company who were not part of sustainability efforts or the human resource efforts are now parts of internal trainings, have some requirements on them when they're going out there doing their supply work. So I can already see uh, a change in culture internally in the companies just by virtue of the fact that somebody in the legal office has to draft a disclosure on a website. 
right? They're waking up. Yes, yes, that's what I'm saying. It's a tiptoe. Mm -hmm. Somebody in the legal office now has to write a a paragraph or two, and they have to, you know, a, a lot of times they call me, and I say, well, here's what we need to disclose. We need to say... Uh, whether or not you're auditing anyone in your supply chain. We need to say whether or not you've hired a third-party verifier. We need to say whether or not your audits are announced or unannounced. So I start telling them these are the kinds of things we're going to need to have some sentences about because that's the disclosure. And they don't know, right? The first time they call me, they have no idea. And lo and behold, they start calling the heads of the business supply chain units and the people who do sourcing here and the people who do sourcing there. And sometimes it comes back, oh, they've got something in place and it's actually pretty robust and we're all excited. We have like lots of good stuff to disclose. And sometimes it's like, what? We just send out a purchase order and the paper clips come in, you know? That's it, right? So you're you're finding that people all throughout the culture change actually of okay, you know, before we send out a purchase order, we're going to have to have a few more questions answered, you know, yeah. Yeah. before we uh, buy the paperclip. Is there an underlying assumption here that brand image is a motivator, absent even any particular penalties, monetary penalties of any kind, just the idea that companies do not want their image to be out there as involved in any form Absolutely. of slavery? Absolutely. Uh, the thing that most people ask me to do is, okay, so you have to, you could say, you could actually meet the requirements of both SB 657 and the UK Modern Slavery Act by saying, nope. I don't do anything in my supply chain, right? No, I don't audit. No, I don't hire a third-party verifier. No, I don't do this. No, I don't do that. No, I don't do that. Not a single company I've spoke to wants to say no to any of those questions. They all Mm -hmm. want to say yes. And they all want to know what are other people doing, right? They want to make sure that they're in the middle of the pack. They don't need to be a leader like, you know, uh, 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 say a Nike or a Patagonia or a company that's, we're leading the charge, and we're going to be the best that's ever been in this area. But most of them do not want to be below average, right? So they want to know what other people are doing. In the early stages of the conflict minerals disclosure rule, there is the option that you can say that uh, it's conflict indeterminable. In other words, the companies can say, at this point, we just don't know if our products contain uh, X amount of, of conflict minerals. Is there any such out in the early stages of either the UK or the California law, or is that just not uh, an acceptable option? No, like, you, we don't, we don't you, know, you, in other words. You, you, you could know. say, no, we, well, the thing is, the, the questions are, tell us affirmatively what you are doing right? Mm-hmm. To police your supply chain. Tell us about your policies. Tell us about your due diligence processes, your auditing process. You know, tell us about your training. Tell us how you are making sure that there's no slavery or human trafficking in your supply chain. So yes, you can comply with the law by saying we don't do anything, but nobody wants to say that. So it is causing lots of people to do things that they weren't doing before. I mean, lots of people are developing a supplier code of conduct. Lots of people are adding some new provisions to their purchase orders. Lots of people are now sending letters to their suppliers and saying, please confirm that you're in compliance with the blah, 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 right? Some of them are going beyond that saying, 
and we want you to send a similar letter for to everyone from whom you are sourcing materials, right? To kind of create a cascading effect down to the raw materials. A lot of companies have implemented supplier codes of conduct that are not necessarily related to the issue we're talking about today. They're more talking about just labor conditions in overseas factories, because that certainly is a black eye on their image when, when, when a factory in Indonesia collapses or uh, you know child labor is discovered to be t- taking yeah. place in a, in a factory in China. We have seen many such supplier codes of conduct already implemented, and yet we have also seen many failures at the same time. Companies oh, yeah. that thought they had all their ducks in a row said, well, we didn't know we were even no. sourcing in this particular factory. So what is the degree to which a supplier code of conduct is effective or subject to failure? I've seen that, you know, uh, with the Bangladesh um, collapse of the building, you know, journalists. Yeah, Bangladesh is where sifting, that happened, by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. The, the journalists were sifting through the rubble and they were looking at the brand labels on the par- charred remains of uh, some of this clothing. And people like Sears were in shock that their products were being made in this factory because this factory was not on their list of approved factories. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, so there are shenanigans going on where somebody subcontracts to somebody else to try to make a little more money, right? That's why these laws are asking about what are your audit procedures, what are your third-party verification procedures, because you can say these are the requirements of our suppliers. That's what a supplier code of conduct is. These are our requirements, but if you don't audit and try to verify, yeah, there's going to be a lot of shenanigans. Just about every major supply chain, manufacturing supply chain in the world today consists of multiple tiers of suppliers. So Mm -hmm. when you conduct these audits, are you expected to go beyond your tier ones? How how deep into your supply chain are you expected to to, to go in order to determine these things? I would say these laws are really only dealing with your direct suppliers. And people are not going to the next tiers unless they're really serious, right? Like a Patagonia or a Nike, where they're like, you know, I, I actually know one company that has almost vertically integrated their supply chain because they do not want to find out that somebody slipped something into their supply chain. Mm-hmm. They, they just, they can't afford it. So they have like gone from hundreds and hundreds of suppliers down to say 23 and have such tight control over them and have 24-hour uh, round-the-clock auditing staff there. It's very, very expensive, but they felt that was necessary for their particular supply chain. But I would say most are just doing their direct suppliers. But so very often the Tier 1 suppliers are not the problem. For example, let's say mm-hmm. a textile factory, a factory that's making apparel – can mm-hmm. be monitored for its own practices uh, relatively easily. And yet, did the cotton come from Uzbekistan, which uh, employs child labor in the fields? That's far from a tier one situation. So you, it seems right. to me that you have to get beyond tier one in order for this to have any meaning at all. Yeah, well, there are no legal requirements for you to do that yet. It's just mm-hmm. the people who are doing it are the people who have suffered the PR consequences. Yeah, right now it seems more it's it's more a question of shaming and the and the participation yeah. of N- NGOs and, yeah. and 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 workers' rights groups that have brought these well, issues out more than government. Well, and customer boycotts, have. customer boycotts too. 
But doesn't it always come down to you, – you say customer boycotts, and certainly we have seen that. But doesn't it in the end come down to the extent to which customers actually care or don't care about what's in their products? I mean do they these days to the extent that this would become an issue for companies that are not you know, playing by the rules? I think when you get these um, you know, horrific stories, yes. But yeah, it would be short-lived for the most yeah. part. You know, so, it does yeah. pass, people forget, and everybody moves on. So I, so I don't uh, think this is the last we've seen of these things. I think of just like climate change. It's first you get disclosure. You get people thinking, asking different questions internally. You get some of the internal cultural change. Uh, some of people, what people's internal job descriptions start changing. And then after that, I can see follow-up laws that will then impose more substantive requirements on these disclosures. Yeah, you use the word tiptoe, which implies that at some point we're, we're going to be jumping in with, uh, you know, with two feet from the uh, government standpoint. They're going to get beyond the tiptoeing and, and, the, and the mere disclosure Correct. into something a little more draconian, I would guess. Right. Well, with more substantive requirements. Yeah. Uh, you can yeah. already see that in California. So the law is passed in two, 2010. Uh, it's very vague, like your disclosure needs to be conspicuous. The statute sort of indicates that you could just say yes, no answers, right? Yes, I verify. Mm -hmm. No, I don't audit. Yes, they're announced. No, they're not announced. And the AG put out guidance on what can, they consider best practices for these disclosures. And that goes quite a bit beyond what the statute requires. So you can already see the tiptoeing. They're, they're down in their ankles now, right? <laughs> they're in the water, and the water's at their ankles. So, I mean, they're, I think the demand is, is there. So it's just about getting everyone comfortable with asking for the next level of scrutiny. And I'm sure you're suggesting that companies today do more than just meet the absolute bare minimum requirements of the laws as written, that they should be more proactive and be out in front of the regulators, right? Yes, yes. Well, you know, counterfeiting is a huge problem. There are people out there, even if they're an approved supplier, they may have a third shift, so to speak, making your products with cheaper materials off-spec materials, human traffic labor, and selling it under some, you know, other brand. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of counterfeiting going on there, and you, you get very damaged once one of these things kind of pops up and bites you. So to the extent that you can improve your knowledge of your own supply chain and be able to catch these things yourself, you're going to stop some sort of catastrophic PR event occurring. <laughs> So, so just to wrap this up, companies that are behind the curve on this, that have not yet really stepped up and that need to Im implement some kind of an auditing program, where should they start? Are there guidelines that they could, be, they could use? Are there benchmarks that they could draw on? Or what would be a good way to get started? Like I said, the Attorney General of California has just issued a resource guide with what they consider best practices. The United Kingdom is going to be developing, I guess, some rules on the scope of the disclosures they're going to want to see under their law. So and since they're borrowing heavily from California, I think if you go to the California Attorney General's guide, that's kind of like the new baseline. Okay, well, that sounds like a great start, and it sounds like companies need to wake up. And uh, Maureen Gorson, I want to thank you so much for helping to kind of prod us a little bit in that direction and help us to understand the state of the regulations and where they might be going in the future on this issue of 
uh, human slavery and trafficking. Thank you so much for being with us today. Okay, thank you very much for having me. That was my conversation with Maureen Gorson of Alston and Bird, talking about the need for companies to eradicate slavery in their supply chains. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time. <laughs>